Network podcast. I'm your host, Brian Craig. I'm the executive director for Influencers Global Ministries here in Bentonville, Arkansas. And, uh, you know, we do these podcasts because we want to just share things that we're seeing uh, with all of you out there and in hopes that, that it'll help you and maybe encourage you, embolden you in, in whatever you're going through in your life. And and uh, I love getting to interview different kinds of people and, uh, of course, share Rocky's wisdom. Um, one thing we do occasionally is uh, we share a message that, that we heard uh, at our weekly gathering that we do here in Northwest Arkansas called The Anchor. We do an early morning gathering once a week to, to gather uh, men just for prayer and, and to be encouraged by a word of testimony. And we have different guys who are just regular guys uh, tell their story. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a pastor who's one of my favorite guys over here, Pat Callahan. Uh, any of you guys out in California will appreciate the fact that he's from Southern, Southern California, uh, but he's he's lived over here uh, for the past five and a half years. But he's been a pastor, been in ministry for over 34 years. Um, he's also been in the business world. So he is has been just the regular guy, not a pastor working at Microsoft and Boeing and, and, uh, and he's just a man's man. He loves life, uh, loves doing things like grilling and brewing and, uh, and classic rock and, uh, scuba diving. He, you know, he's a, he's a really fun guy, but he's a, he's a great guy. And, and also he has, was observing, uh, the journey for about, a year and a half or something and started really realizing, uh, this is something the men of his church needed. And he didn't say a lot about it, but when the time was right, he jumped in with both feet and he's, he's leading three different journey groups at his church and, and he's starting a revolution, if you will, at his church. But, but he gave a message the other day and we just asked him to give his story, a little bit of his story and his upbringing, which you'll hear about. But, uh, he really hones in on what a lot of people in, theology or theologians would call a dark night of the soul. And it seems like sometimes men are forced to face a dark night of the soul and, and God allows it for deeper purposes. So Pat uh, talks about his dark night of the soul in his story. And I, I think you'll be encouraged. I think you'll appreciate uh, Pat's real, uh, honest approach to uh, to sharing his story. So listen in to uh, Pastor Pat Callahan uh, from Salem Springs, Arkansas, talking about the dark night of the soul. Uh, and it was when I was 12 that I knew, I found out for the first time I had to make a personal decision about Jesus Christ. And I remember I was with my buddy Mike, and Mike was going to go rededicate his life. He's like, come on, man, let's go down. I'm like, I don't want to be the first. So this little girl came down the front row, and I'm like, and then I'm dragging him down there and uh, profess faith in Christ. And, and uh, I'm just so thankful that God uh, was gracious enough to put people in my life who took me uh, to that camp. A little while later, a few years later at that camp, um, I, I got my call to ministry. And, and I would say it wasn't any kind of big, amazing thing. Uh, again, a speaker was invited people to lunch uh, who wanted to you know, know more about serving God with your whole life. And, and uh, I said, yeah, I want to do that. He said, you know, those of you who, who want to stand up and say like Isaiah did, hear my Lord, send me. Uh, you, you stand up. And I remember standing up and I had no idea what I was 
you know, asking for. I just knew I want to be used by God. I, I just knew whatever I did in my life, uh, I wanted it to be a God thing. Uh, I had no intention of going to the ministry, none. Uh, I was a professional musician at age 16. Uh, I made many, many thousands of dollars in high school uh, gigging. Uh, we, had our, our, we had a little jazz combo. We, we had sewn up the, uh, the Miss California, the, the junior Miss California. We, we got paid a lot of money to sit around looking at pretty girls and then playing music. It was a great gig. Uh, and so I spent it all on stupid stuff. I didn't left, left high school with no money and went to college. And, and I got back at that same camp, I got a scholarship to go to a place called Multnomah School of the Bible. And I went because I thought it'd be, you know, a free year of college. But I, my plan was to come back to L.A. and major in theory and composition and be the next John Williams. And God had other plans. And uh, during that year at, uh, at Multnomah, I just felt like God was calling me to serve him uh, vocationally. And so I went back for a year, worked at my home church as an intern, and then went back up, finished my education where I met my wife, uh, beautiful, young, junior, second semester transfer student. Uh, I can still remember meeting her. Uh, and just thinking, this is great. She is so hot. And as we got to talking, she had been to Hume Lake. She'd worked there the previous summer. She remembered me. I'm like, yes, I'm so in. I said, oh, really? She goes, yeah, I remember you being really obnoxious. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, later she said she meant boisterous, uh, and it's not true. I was totally obnoxious. I was loud and uh, I mean, you know me now. I'm loud anyway. T times 10, you know, it's just ridiculous. Uh, so uh, we ended up getting married after after college. Uh, I graduated. Uh, she turned 21. I graduated. I turned 22. And then we got married all in the span of about uh, 26 days. Uh, and we have been married for 30, just almost 31, going on 31 years. Uh, as, as Brian said, we've got two sons. Uh, my son Connor's 25. A Marine that has now joined the Air Force, uh, and he just got married to Raquel, a beautiful young lady who was born and raised in Mexico. Mom and dad are missionaries. Uh, and uh, my other son, Chase, who's turning 18 in a couple of days and is a senior in high school. And uh, that's a whole different thing for us because with my, my oldest son, we didn't do the whole college thing. Uh, so now we're doing all the college applications. It's like, oh, yeah, this is new. So everything's new all the time for us. Uh, and, and if you know, you, you know, you get to somewhere in your 40s, things start to change uh, because in your 20s, you're just trying to you're, you're just trying to get a job and make money and eat. Uh, if you get married, you're trying to feed two people and make sure that you have a place to live. And then you start having kids. You get in your 30s and, and you get all your old childhood sicknesses back. Uh, when your kids start going to school, you remember that? And then you kind of get in a rhythm after your kids are in school for a few years. And it's all good. And you're usually at that point in your career at a point where you've been doing what you do for a while. And you're pretty good at it. And that's where we were. And then our son came home. Uh, one night in his beginning of his, ju his senior year. And I said, Hey, you know, we went out to dinner. He's worked for me as an intern. And I said, Hey, uh, what are you going to, you got any plans for next year? I don't know. Dad. I don't exactly want to do yet. And so we head home and he was in his cars and mine. And he called me on the way home. He goes, when we get home, can you and I talk? Sure. So he goes, I wasn't really, he goes, he goes, there's something I need to tell you. And I'm like, great. 
he got his girlfriend pregnant. Uh, or he's gay. It was like either one of those things. And I was like, okay, how, so I had, I had three miles to figure out how I was going to respond to, I got my girlfriend pregnant or I'm gay. And I was like, okay, Lord, you'll give me wisdom and we'll talk about this and it'll be good. And he said, I wasn't honest with you when I said I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I said, oh, really? What do you want to do? He goes, he goes, I want to be a Marine for the last five years. And I said, well, then do you feel like there's something that God's calling you to? He said, I do. I said, then you need to be a Marine. And so he went through the process of applying to the Naval Academy. Uh, he was the alternate from our area to go to the Naval Academy. So his plan was to stay, uh, go to school for a year and then reapply. And he was basically told, you'll, you'll get it. Uh, and God, again, had other plans. He got a call from a pastor's kid who happened to be a recruiter for the Marines. And they talked. And Connor decided to go into the Marines. And I, he said, what do you think? I said, go to the Naval Academy come out, become a Marine, you're a Marine. Go to college first, come out of college, join the Marines, you're a Marine. Go to the Marines, you're a Marine. All of them Marines, right? He goes, yeah, I go, you feel like God's calling me a Marine, right? Yeah. Then you're doing what you should be doing. Whatever you want to do, you, you get to make that choice. And so he joined the Marine Corps. He, is, uh, he was a uh, crypto-linguist for the Marine Corps, uh, very tough MOS. Uh, he had to test. He, my son took, uh, it took him three years to get two years of high school Spanish uh, done. And so when we heard he was going to do this language test, the, the defense language aptitude test, uh, there's hardly anybody passes this thing. And to be a Marine cryptolinguist, you have to have an extremely high score because they only take a very few people in the Marine Corps. And we were like, tell his recruiter, why, why did you send him to that? You know, he's, there's no, no way. He goes, no, I have a good feeling about him. And uh, he passed it. And so uh, he went in the Marine Corps. He went to uh, a place called DLI, the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. And it, he got Indonesian as his language. Uh, except that there was an Indonesian class starting up for a while. And so they gave him Spanish, which we thought was hilarious that they gave him Spanish because it took him three years to two years of Spanish. But he became uh, very fluent very quickly in Spanish and uh, then went to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and uh, began his career as a Marine. He went on his first uh, deployment down to Honduras, and when your son does top secret stuff, essentially my, a, a crypto linguist is the Marine Corps version of the NSA. So he is a he is a um, electronic intelligence gatherer, which means he didn't talk a lot about his job. Uh, and you don't ask a lot about the job because he doesn't want to lie to his dad. So he just doesn't talk when you ask questions. <clears throat> so. <laughs> there was a 60 minute special. I don't know how many saw it uh, on the the uh, security hole that's in the cellular network that exists. I don't know, you guys see that special? And they they did a thing where they're showing how it could be exploited. And so he happened to be home, and we're watching that together as a family. And it that segment ended, and <laughs> we look at him, and he had this like look on his face. He goes, "I can't even say I watched this." <laughs> and he left the room. We're like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess you use that." Use it for good, son. Uh, so his first deployment was great. He uh, was, they were working to um, infiltrate and uh, take, uh, take out the cartel network that, was, that exists in Honduras. Uh, they had some great success with that. And then he came home. And then he went on a second deployment. And uh, his second deployment was a little bit different. He was in uh, Spain and um, at Signal Air Force Base in Sicily. 
And that was real different for us. Uh, that's right about the time I joined But Naked Pastors. And uh, it was my, actually my first time. And he had just deployed. And uh, I had the strangest experience. And the experience was one day as I was shaving, I looked in the mirror and I was praying uh, for, you know, just generally praying and, and praying my normal prayer for Connor. Lord, Lord, keep him safe. Uh, and, and this and that, and his, his mission, uh, he was on a, he was on a ready group. So 24 seven, he was ready to actively deploy. He, he was leading a team that if a uh, pilot went down, his team would go and get that pilot out of North Africa. Uh, and then his other team was uh, doing crypt, uh, SIG, SIGINT supporting, uh, teams that were going out and looking for ice, ISIL weapons caches. So he's on call all the time. He, you know, at one point he called and said, remember that scene at the end of Top Gun where everyone's standing around at the party and they come to him and pass, give him a, an envelope and they have to leave in five minutes. He goes, that just happened. So I'll call you in 10 days. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that was kind of his whole deployment. And so as I was shaving that morning and praying, God, you know, keep, keep Connor and his team safe, uh, you know, let them be effective in, in what they do. Uh, I heard a voice and it was the unmistakable voice uh, for me that I knew it was from the enemy, but it was very believable. And here's what he said. If God let his own son die, why do you think he's going to keep yours alive? And that is the moment that began for me what was the dark night of the soul. Um, I had never experienced doubt before, significant doubt. Um, never had to wrestle with that. I had a great upbringing. Uh, I knew I was loved. Uh, wasn't real close to my dad. My dad wasn't real close to his dad, so he didn't have a lot of tools in that area. We've gotten closer since. <clears throat> but a very, very loving mom and grandparents. So it, I had a good upbringing. But at that moment, I began to believe that voice because it's true. God let his own son die. Why would he keep my son? What, what, what assurances do I have that my son's not going to die too? And, uh, I, I, the guys know, I mean, right. I mean, we're going around sharing and they went in the opposite direction for me. So I'm the last guy and I'm like, you know, Ooh, okay. Ooh, a lot of, a lot of pollen in the air today. And it got around to me and I was just a, I was just a mess. Uh, and I don't even think at that point I even admitted to the guys that, I mean, I was ready to toss it. I'm like, I don't know if I should be a pastor anymore. I don't even know if I believe anymore. Um, I'm, I'm ready to go because yeah, I, I've, I've given my son, let him go. I put him in your hands and God, you're not going to, you're not giving me any assurances at all that my son's going to be safe because you let your own son die. So why would you let my son live? I got to tell you, that was a tough time. It's tough enough when your son, you know, get shot at for a living. He was uh, in Honduras. He was shot at. He was in a helicopter that got shot down. He was in another heli helicopter crash twice, two helicopter crashes. Uh, I still don't know exactly all the things that he did in, uh, in North Africa. You know, he tells me that, don't worry, Dad. You know, there's nothing more deadly on earth than a Marine Corps fire team, which is true. Uh, my son and I have been out shooting a few times since, and it's amazing how much... Uh, lead he can put downrange effectively onto a target 
in a killing manner. Um, we, we did some shooting and I, I, it took me 19 seconds to kill three guys. He killed the same three guys in seven seconds. And that was from zero to load your weapon to put it, lead on the target. He's a very effective fighter. However, as a dad, you don't know, you don't care about that. You just want your boy to come home and God let his son die. And it took about three months to really wrestle through that for me of preaching every Sunday and thinking as I'm preaching, as I'm encouraging people, the back of my mind going, I don't even know if I believe this anymore. Uh, and so how did I get through it? And that's kind of want to just take a couple minutes and, and tell you, uh, I was talking about David. We finished a series on David and, uh, David is an interesting character. If you've read, I mean, we know the big stories, but if you take time to read slowly the story of David, uh, David was a very interesting character because he started his life as a young, young boy, 13, 14 years old, when he was anointed by Samuel as the next king. And then he had to go back to shepherding. A year and a half later, Goliath, you know, he's still not quite old enough to drive. He takes out Goliath. Everybody loves him, gets hired by the king. He moves quickly through the ranks to become uh, the general of an elite fighting force, to become the, the head of Saul's bodyguard. And then, of course, you know, story Saul wants to kill him. And David runs to the, uh, the priests uh, where he is safe. Every time Saul sends somebody, they just end up prophesying over David. And for some reason, David leaves there because he's scared and he goes to Nob and he lies to the priest there, says, I'm on a secret mission. We don't have any food because we had to leave real fast. We don't have any weapons because we had to leave real fast. And the priest is like, you and your elite fighting force don't have your weapons. Okay. The sword of Goliath is here. And uh, he takes that. And when Saul finds out, he kills every priest and every family member of those priests in the town of Nob has them killed by a guy named Doeg. It's because David lied and got afraid and did all the things that I did later in his life. Uh, David stayed home when he should have been out fighting and he, and we always clean it up in church, right? We say he, you know, he had adultery with, with Bathsheba. It's called what it is. He raped her. She didn't have a choice. She wasn't, she was just doing her thing. She was just happened to be bathing. It wasn't her fault. She didn't have a choice to not go to the king. That's rape in our society. He raped. And Uriah, by the way, was one of his friends, one of his mighty men, his 30 guys, his closest guys. Her dad, Eliam, was also one of David's mighty men. Her grandfather, Ahithophel, was David's closest advisor. He knew who this girl was. He'd known her since she grew up which makes it even more gross because he knew her as a little girl. He was a rough guy. He had, he had swings just like we do when we were all for God. And then we do really stupid things. But at the end of his life, David is uh, sitting with his son, Solomon, having just survived the second coup by one of his sons, uh, Adonijah, who again, the, one, the guys that sided with Adonijah, one of them was a priest named Abiathar. Abiathar was the only kid who lived from that town of Nob. First chance he got, he never forgot that David had sold him out. 
Ahithophel, Bathsheba's grandpa, never forgot. First chance he got when Absalom uh, had a coup, took over, he went with Absalom. And he never forgot that David raped his little girl. Because the first thing he told Absalom to do was take David's harem out onto the roof of the palace in full view of Jerusalem and rape his concubines. He never forgot. There are ripples when we disobey. There are ripples when we make foolish choices. There are ripples when we get sideways. Uh, Sometimes those ripples affect a little bit and sometimes they affect a lot. We can't control the ripples. We can only control how we respond to our failure. And David said to his son, Solomon, he said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So be strong, act like a man and observe what the Lord requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Be strong and act like a man. Be strong and courageous. The God's words to Joshua. And those are the things that we use to defend ourselves against the enemy's attacks. And what I had to do was to go back to God's word and not be strong in body, but be strong in spirit by saying, here's what God says. And what God says is this earth and this time is this long. And my son knows the Lord. And if he dies, we have eternity. And I had to come to grips with that because honestly, I was like, I, I, I get that, but I want him now. I want to have grandkids. My son and daughter-in-law know this. For some reason, they think they should wait a couple of years. I don't know, three months. It's plenty of time. It's time. I just go, you know, Lord, if there's an accident, we're okay with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I want, them, I want to watch them grow up. I want to watch them get old. I got to do a funeral for one of my staff members whose son just passed away yesterday. I don't want my son to pass away first. I don't want him to die first. So I had to go back and go, you know what, even if that happens, even if the worst happens, we have the Lord, Jesus Christ, to not only talk about our eternity, to see us through eternity, but to see us through today and tomorrow. Be courageous. Don't be discouraged. Discouragement, you know, they called this, you know, uh, health issues, your heart condition, you know, silent killer, but discouragement has the same kind of uh, effects on your body that heart disease does. It will rob you of your very spirit. And that's what happened to me. I got discouraged and my courage was robbed and my, my joy was robbed and my soul was dried up and withered. And I had to go back and take courage in the truth of God's word. And so I would just encourage you guys, number one, wherever you're at, know that God only uses broken people. I love the Bible because it shows all the war. That's why you know the Bible's true. If you were writing a holy book when you created a religion, you wouldn't put David's story in there. You wouldn't put Paul's story in there, Abraham. You wouldn't put the guys that God chose. God didn't choose good people. He chose people like us, regular men and women. So be encouraged by the fact that you're just the type of people, if God was writing his story today, that he would use. People who make mistakes, but then deal with it. God, forgive me. I repent. I have sinned against you and you alone, just like David said. Every sin is a sin against God first. 
And uh, thank you for your forgiveness, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. God uses guys just like us. And so if your heart is for God, you are just like David. You're a man after God's own heart. Because David often wasn't a man after God's own heart. But that's what he was called because his life wasn't about perfection. It was about direction. His life was always headed toward God. And so I had to come back to that. I had to come back to working through the truth of Scripture, what God says about me, what God says about him, what God says about my son and eternity. And that, yeah, you know what? There are no guarantees. There's no guarantees. I can't control outcomes. I want to control outcomes, but I can't control outcomes. I can't control people driving slow on the freeway. How am I going to control something like my son, my, both my sons, uh, living to a certain age, doing certain things? You know what? We can only take what God gives us and then respond to it in obedience. And you know what? It all comes back to the journey, right? How do you do that? You abide in Christ every day. You abide. You stay connected to the vine. You stay connected to each other. You know, I'm so thankful for our group that I can just come and say, hey, listen, guys, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. You know what? You and your pastor, it, it's, you just don't have a lot of friends because you are a figure more than a person to a lot of people. Now, my guys in my journey group know me because we talk our stuff. But a lot of people, I'm just the preacher. That's my title. I was introduced by a person who I thought was a friend as my pastor. And I'm like, pastor, dude, we're buddies. What the heck? So it's tough sometimes with relationships. So I'm thankful for a group. You got to have a group. Got to have a tribe. Get a people who love on you, can be there with you when you're hurting. And uh, I'm thankful that God has given me that. So I, I hope my story has in, encouraged you uh, in, your, in your story. Um, I am far from perfect. Uh, I just, again, I, I'm the same guy I was when I was 15 years old. I just want to be used by God, however he can use me and, and wherever that is. If it's in the church, if it's in the business world, I had a lot of fun in the business world. We did a lot of fun things back in the day. Uh, it was a wild ride. Um, but I just, again, just want to be used by God where I'm at. So that's all I got. Again, not a, I don't usually tell my story, so to speak, but uh, thank you for letting me come today. And Ryan. Well, I hope you enjoyed Pat's message. Uh, he's the real deal, and uh, and I just love uh, I love what he said about the fact that the Bible must be true because <laughs> if it was fake, they wouldn't they wouldn't make the people in the Bible such misfits and such uh, such rebels and and all that. So anyway, I th- uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, again, this is the Influencers Network podcast, and uh, you can find out more about influencers if you're. Just stumbled upon this podcast and don't know about our ministry, uh, go to www.influencers.org and you can find information about our discipleship process, which we call the journey. And if if you've never been through it, I highly recommend you checking it out because it is an amazing process that we believe is anointed by God that helps people learn how to have an intimate abiding relationship with Christ and how to become a disciple and how to face your dark night of the soul, as Pat talked about. And so anyway, I encourage you to check that out. Also, I'm uh, just going to remind you all out there that we have something called the Generosity Challenge going on, and uh, this is our year-end appeal, and we're just asking influencers everywhere to pray about 
you know, giving back to this ministry financially. If, if God has blessed you, invest in this ministry so we can invest in the lives of, of other people who need to find out about this message. And, uh, and uh, we're calling it Generosity Challenge because we believe influencers and those who are abiding in Christ should be the most generous people. And, uh, and also want to remind you that if you're in a, we're a city where we have an existing region, all donations uh, to those, from those regions, 50% will go back to the region to support the regional directors there. So, so if you're in Tulsa, if you're in Memphis, if you're in Northwest Arkansas, if you're in Orange County, if you're in Bakersfield, if you're in Pismo Beach area, if you're in Redding and you make a donation, 50% of your donation will go back to your regional director and your regional office. So anyway, that's just a, a something, a way of us to demonstrate generosity back to the region. So anyway, again, this is the Influencers Network podcast. I'm your host, Brian Craig, encouraging you to abide in Christ and go make disciples. God bless you. me mm-hmm.